welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn, knitting, and other fun makery things. We are recording from our shop, Scratch Supply Co., in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here today. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And today we are doing a Make Good First. We have our first ever interview. We're bringing in Anne and Kathy, the organizers behind Warm the Line, the project that you might have seen around the general election and maybe seeing some information about regarding the Georgia runoffs that are coming up. You maybe even have knit a hat or a scarf or some mittens and stuck it in the mail to help keep voters warm when they're waiting in line to vote. So join us in welcoming Anne and Kathy. Yay! Welcome to our first guests ever on here on Make Good. Um, would you like to maybe introduce yourselves and tell us something that people don't necessarily know about you? Well, my name's Kathy Mullins, and um, I am from San Jose. I was a varsity cheerleader. Oh, <laughs> that's cool! Am. Like, <laughs> like the kind where you get thrown up in the air. Uh, yeah, only we weren't as fancy back then. You know, I graduated high school in 1980, so um, we didn't do all of the gymnastics, but I'm a pretty, like, crunchy person, so it, anybody who knows me would be like, what? <laughs> That's neat. That's really cool. <laughs> uh, and I'm Ann Keith. Um, I'm a fledgling knitwear designer in Massachusetts, and I guess a fun fact about me is I was briefly on the opening credits of Assignment Discovery on the Discovery Channel. (laughs) I did, uh, my roommate at the time worked for what was been a very new company. They hadn't even done the Discovery Channel yet. They were making interactive CDs and she asked me to be in a demonstration video, which ended up as a tiny clip between a zebra and uh, John F. Kennedy on the opening credits of Assignment (laughs) Discovery in the early 90s. So that was my neat (laughs) 15 Seconds, 15 nanoseconds, maybe of me. <laughs> awesome. So, how do you two know each other? Sure. Um, so, so we are members of the Warm the Line Committee. Um, we are bringing warm items to voters in what well, we started off with the initial election to voters in uh, swing states, and now we're doing it for Georgia. And Kathy's going to talk a little bit more about how that got started. Um, but uh, we met because I was at Vogue Knitting Live in New York and a woman stopped me on the street to ask me about my shawl, a fellow knitter. She happened to be from California. She was in a knitting group with a woman that Kathy knows. And so when they were putting this together, I kind of got looped in through that connection. So we've got people from coast to coast working on this. Fantastic. Um, And Kathy, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what Warm the Line is? Sure. If, uh, I'll uh, talk a little bit about how I got the idea, and I think that'll also go right into what Warm the Line is, which um, Anne has said is bringing warm items to people that might be waiting in especially long lines this this election year. Uh, so I was um, riding my exercise bike, which is one of those boring ones that has no screen, nobody telling me what to do. So my mind gets to wander. And um, I used to always tell my kids, I'm glad you're bored. You'll be smarter. So I got a little smarter um, by being bored on my bike. (laughs) (laughs) And 
and I thought to myself, I just heard Michelle Obama tell people that the lines are going to be long, bring a lunch or bring a picnic and bring a lawn chair. And I was thinking to myself, so what would make people leave the line, um, especially in those important cold swing states where most likely most voters will um, need to wait the longest because there might be a little bit of shenanigans going on with the polling places. And I, I thought, you know, it's going to be comfort, um, like Michelle Obama had alluded to. So I thought, what can I do? I thought food, not really. I, you know, I don't, I don't have any connection to chefs, but I certainly have connections to making warm things. And so I just put out a quick text to my sister-in-law and another person I've known through knitting. And um, she immediately came back with a little logo that said, warm clothes for cold lines now we've changed it over time but i thought oh wow and then i thought well we're going to need an address where people can start to send things um who can we enlist to help us organize this um and so by word of mouth my neighbor knew someone in milwaukee that person said okay i've got a big front porch and i'm across the street from the poles and uh, so we got you know got her um word of mouth we got a whole bunch of people together and I still wasn't quite sure whether it was really going to, we were really going to pull it off. But when um, Romy Hill uh, saw a logistics needed sign on Instagram, which is primarily the venue through which we've been working, um, and she shot back within 15 minutes of my posting that I'm still on the bike, I'll donate a hat pattern. I thought, Okay. Oh, that's so cool. Because <laughs> I just kind of like, you know, checked off everybody that I was following and said, do you know anybody? Um, and so she came back with that and I said, okay, I think maybe we can do this if we've got somebody like her uh, already saying she would help. So it, it, um, it evolved. It, it, that was the initial idea. And various people with different talents um, have, have joined our organization group. Um, I mentioned um, India Untangled. I knew she put on big events, so maybe she could help us with logistics. Well, she was very happy to be a part of it. And, um, and then Anne has really been our logistics person after meeting Anne. Um, I'm not that great on, on social media. So just in terms of the working all, out all the nice marketing things that one can do with with social media so um and Anne is so that's how we got this started so in a nutshell again we're a bunch of grassroots community people that by word of mouth found people all around the country to either receive or distribute warm things in the general election and we thought wow we can do this for the Georgia election as well and um, we distributed about 3,000 items uh, in the general election. So oh, wow. um, it really got quite big. Yeah, yeah. And you guys were part of that. So thank you. Yeah, it was really great seeing things like when people would send the items in. You know, obviously we would unpack the boxes and see what was in them. And a lot of the items were really beautiful. Some of the things had really beautiful notes written with them. I think my our our favorite note was from a woman who... She said she's lived in the U.S. for like 20 years and has never been eligible to vote. So she just sent, she wanted to like support the voting process in this way. And she sent a couple of knitted things and then also like 50 masks. Um, it oh, was, wow. It was uh -huh. really touching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We cried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We it was were very emotional. <laughs> <laughs> well, people have really embraced it. We've been so grateful the way that the community has come together and we've made other connections with this particular round. Um, folks at the Pussy Hat Project have helped us 
we didn't sort of catch up with them to sort of the tail end of our process last time, but uh, this time they've really been supporting us right from the beginning and putting us in their newsletter as has India Tangle and some other folks, you all having us on the podcast. So we're really starting to expand our reach and we're so thrilled we partnered with election defenders for this round. Um, you may have know them from the joy to the polls. Uh, that was their groups, all the people doing the cha-cha slide outside of the polling place in Philadelphia. So they'll be handling distribution for us this time. So we're really excited about that. They've been a wonderful partner and we're, we're happy because they're handling that distribution part and we can really focus on getting those warm items in. So we've been, we've been thrilled at the response and people are sending big boxes of stuff. We had a woman today who was packing up, must've been 20 or 30 items to send off. So that's, that's amazing. And, and you just mentioned like last time and this time. So let's just say it on the podcast. When you say last time, you mean the general election. I mean, the general election, right. And this time, I mean, the Georgia runoff. Yeah. Right. You did this huge effort for the general election, and then you immediately turned right back around and started, right. started it right. again. Well, yeah, fortunately, there was, you know, right pretty much the day after the election. It's like, right, there's going to be more election. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sure, I'm sure my aunt and uncle live in Iowa, and they say it's election season all the time here. I'm sure that's how the people in Georgia feel now that they're just you know, every time they turn on the TV, it's a hundred ads and posters and signs. And But it took my adrenaline level a long time to come down. So I was really glad we could jump into something else. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Before we, before we completely fell flat. We were still right. <laughs> right. Well, Georgia runoff is January 5th. Yes. Do you have plans to continue warm the line or kind of like pivot and find ways to keep doing this sort of work with some other focus, or are you just going to be looking forward to future election cycles? Well, the plan is, well, I wouldn't say it's a plan, but we've been thinking about the fact that we are going to in, encountering a lot of new lines as we go forward. We're going to be in line for the vaccine. People are in line ah. for groceries now. A lot of these lines are, are lines are going to be part of our life for a long time. So we've kind of been toying with the idea of warm the line to there are no more lines. Um, we think there'll be opportunities to do this going forward. There are other organizations, of course, who do charity knitting, and we might look to partner with them going forward and to, to drive our followers to some of these other projects. And of course, with our crazy election system, we've got more elections coming up in two years. So, um, and I'm sure until we get this voter suppression situation worked out, we're going to be facing people standing in long lines to vote for a while to come yet, unfortunately. Yeah, we, um, both Jessica and I are poll volunteers and here, you know, Lebanon's not like a huge, it, it is technically a city, but it, it's not like a huge city or anything by any means. But I think we had the polls opened in New Hampshire at seven and we had a line kind of around the building by 6.30 which was surprising because we'd had so many mail-in ballots as well. We had mm -hmm. kind of been telling ourselves like, oh, maybe it won't be that bad. So many people sent in absentee ballots. Yeah, our voter turnout was phenomenal. Like it was yeah. definitely surprising to see the boxes of ballots get carried in in the morning and then just an endless stream of people all day. We had- oh, yeah a surprising number of people get registered at the polls too. Like it was, mm -hmm. it was kind of, you know, it was inspiring. It was great to see so many people getting involved. For as challenging, yeah, as this year has been, 
one good outcome is I think people realize they have to be involved. They have to be involved with voting. They have to encourage others to vote. I remember uh, we lived in Italy for a year when my husband was doing his doctoral research and my Italian friend, they had the way they do elections there about two weeks before all the posters go up. It's the picture of the person running. It's where they're running from. That's it. Two weeks vote and then it's done. So they really are surprised by our endless you know, two <laughs> years of getting ready. But my friend's like, oh, so shameful. Only 70% vote in this election. And it's a low, little like regional election, like we would for like, you know, mayor and city. Oh, so shameful. Only 70%. Like, oh, yeah, I hate to tell you what turnout is in the US <laughs> in the presidential election. So, so someday maybe we'll get to 70% or, or higher. But uh, it's it's been very encouraging to see people, more people getting involved in the electoral process. That can only be good. You know, as we were planning this and just putting the first logistical issues together, um, such as addresses, somebody actually did say like, well, aren't people going to be mail-in voting this year? And I just thought that enough people's lives have been turned upside down because of this pandemic and um, they've been displaced. I bet you people are going to show up at the polls. And sure enough, that's that's what happened. The reason may not be the same, but but it happened. So you guys are telling a story about people being in lines where there really were lines everywhere. Oh, yeah. So as a, as a poll volunteer, you sort of wait for a lull in the day and then you go vote yourself. So neither of us had voted absentee. And at one point we kind of looked at each other and we were like, are we going to get to vote? <laughs> <laughs> Here's an unexpected problem. We did. We totally did. I think not till the middle afternoon. of the afternoon. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, oh, it's short. Run in, run in, get out. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. But I'm kind of interested in who did you give the items to that you received and how were they received? So we largely partnered with, there's a, a group surge standing up for racial justice mm -hmm. that was doing line support in New Hampshire and then some in Maine as well. And so because we were going to be at the polls on election day and we weren't available to be handing things out, we gave, we gave them basically everything to distribute a day or two before. And I mean, they were very excited about it. I don't know if we really, other than like just the quick thank you note, like afterward, they didn't send us anything like, here's no pictures, pictures of people or wearing them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I know they were doing line support, like running around with hot chocolate. And we had, and I'm not sure where these came from, actually, because they were inside the building, but we had those little like hot hands hand warmer things like we took from inside the building and gave to the line support that was at our location because I think we were they like, were actually from the city and there were um voter defenders is that what they're called yes yeah they, that's they, they were, were people outside to you know help protect people's voting rights and they were out there all day to be a resource standing out in the snow so at some point we found this box of the little hand warmers and we took them outside and gave it to them because by the time they got to us, you know, they were already in the building, but right, they were right. able to distribute downline that way. And I think that was really helpful mm -hmm. yeah, because it was definitely snowing on election day here. Wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's how I envision these things helping. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had people say, well, it doesn't get that cold in Georgia, does it? It's like, but for Georgians, it does. people that live in Georgia, I think when it's 50, that they're freezing to death. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was my election defenders actually posted something similar to that on their on their feed. Like it does get cold in Georgia. And, and if people are there at six in the morning, it will be in the 30s, so, which is which I consider legitimately cold. And one thing people often ask is like, well, if everything isn't distributed on election day, what happens to them? And our 
partners, both for the general and for this, will be giving those away to communities in need. So if there are any leftovers, they'll, they'll go to women's shelters, homeless shelters, um, churches to distribute. So so no item will go to waste, even if it's it, it doesn't end up on a, a voter on election day. But the majority of them will. We've we've had good feedback from our other distributors that people are really excited for it and they're you know it's just a nice gives them a warm feeling that here's a complete stranger and it'd be this beautiful thing because they were thinking of me being in line to vote so that's that's part of it too the, along with the joy to the polls it's just making the experience of standing in line for hours a little more pleasant yes <laughs> Yeah, we had, when we made the arrangement with Surge to distribute, I help run an organization that provides material support to unhoused populations. So like we give out tents and cold weather gear and that kind of thing. And so the arrangement that we had made was if you don't end up giving this all out, give it back and I'll give it to our, our local homeless population. And they, they didn't have any left over, which was really great. That's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And the other thing that's really nice about this is, so we're right near a major, there's a major hospital near us. And I know that hospital is not taking, because of COVID, is not taking the like preemie hats and the chemo caps and that kind of thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as donations right now. So this is that like another outlet for that same impulse and like need to do something productive that isn't necessarily like the person receiving it isn't necessarily immunocompromised, so it's not a problem. Right. So, so moving forward, or if you had this to do over again, what would you do differently? Well, I, I think for a group of volunteers who really hadn't taken on a project like this from scratch, we feel pretty good about, about what we were able to accomplish. I think one thing we might do is get our own individual Instagram account a little bit sooner. We were kind of running it off our individual ones, so we might do that a little sooner. And I think we had wonderful people distributing for us, including you guys in November, but I think partnering with these larger organizations too, going forward, we want to add some more of those to our to our stable, if that's the right word, um, to where we have this, the small groups giving out, for instance, in this time we have election defenders is doing the majority for us. And then we do have a, a woman in Thomasville, Georgia, where election defenders is not, they don't have a presence there. So she's going to be giving them out to a local church who's involved in voter activation and education and getting people to the polls. So that she'll be supporting them in that way uh, in her local community. So having having I think big and small big and small partners is really important mm -hmm. as we do this. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. And um, part of the the fun of this for me was the grassroots nature of it. So I don't think I would change any of that. I mean, just uh, you know, from one neighbor to the next, from a landlady here or a person that I appeal to who has no idea who I am in Minnesota. Um, just, you know, asking if they would be willing, if they knew somebody. That to me was really the really fun part. And then just partnering with enough people in our organizing group, we've got about, uh, we've dwindled a little bit, but we started out with maybe about 10 people, maybe a little, a fewer, um, I might, yeah, about 10 people who all came with from diverse backgrounds and different ideas. And that was really just fun to sit around and talk about, well, we could do a, a little knit along um, and talk about our voting plan. Who could we invite? 
uh, we did do that. And I wouldn't do anything different. It was part of the momentum that was building and it for the general election. And I'm starting to really feel the pressure for the Georgia election now. So momentum is there. <laughs> Less than a month away. And we are so grateful for the various designers, starting with Romy Hill and some of the other designers who did special patterns for us or made their patterns available at no cost for the, a period of time. Uh, Busy Peach and uh, Lyrical Knits and um, Just Living With Yarn is one. I'm forgetting some other people, but um, that was really helpful too and so kind and a, a nice way for our makers too to get a little present of a pattern for their work. So we appreciated that very much as well. Actually, it was Laverne at Busy Peach that really helped us in Georgia because she's in Atlanta. She just made a call to fiber artists and a bunch of people joined a Zoom call. And um, that's how we met the people who were sending to now is uh, the Craftivist and Revival Yarns in Atlanta and Athens, respectively, was her calling fiber artists in the area come to this meeting. <laughs> Again, another thing I wouldn't change. <laughs> That's so exciting. The fiber community is really, I think it's impressive how quickly people come together and are just kind of mobilized to make things happen. Like knitters and crocheters are very get it done sort of people, I think. So it's wonderful to see that this has gained so much momentum and was such a success in November and it's continuing up to the Georgia runoff. That's really wonderful. I think we have a lot of trust in our community too, our, our fiber community. You know, there's, it's, you don't, I mean, I remember still, you know, selling yarn through a wet, through Ravelry. Oh, do you have this skinny yarn from this company? I need that color. And you send your money to somebody that you don't know. You have no idea if they really have what you want and if they're going to send it and it happens, you know, I mean, it, there's this trust that we have for each other that I just love. Do you remember in 2016, right after the Women's March, and there were all of those um, talking heads who were upset about the Women's March, and they were like, someone manufactured and distributed all of these hats with military precision. <laughs> and it was like, oh, dude, you didn't, you haven't met a knitter. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. They're angry and their hands move very fast. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a gentleman that contacted us um, and said his, his, he had 37 scarves that his mother had knit this, this uh, year and didn't know what to do with them. So, you know, I, I'm picture, you know, a lot of us are just putting our anxiety into our, not, not that we oh, send sure. the anxiety up, but you know, working the anxiety out through the stitches. So he's sending 37 scarves that his mom made, which I think is so great. That's amazing. Well, are there other things that you want people to know about Warm the Line? Is there still time to mail things? Are there other ways that people can be helpful? Yes, absolutely. There's time. We had a, a big push to get some mail by the 5th of December, so for early voters, but we can, if people would like to mail things, we're asking them to mail them by the 26th of December, just to give them enough time to get to Atlanta and Athens and to get distributed for election day. Um, we also have uh, merchandise. If you wanted to buy a shirt or a mug or a tumbler, um, it's on spreadshirt.com slash warm the line. There's a link in our bio on Instagram. And they made a, we have our original warm the line logo, which was done by Kathy's son, who's an emerging artist. And we have a lovely uh, Georgia peach made out of yarn with vote written in yarn on it. That's also uh, on the spreadsheet. So if you want to, and all the money from that will just go to support. We're getting a website put up and we're, 
we're we want to be able to offer some postage support possibly for future endeavors. So that's one way they can support us. If they want to get in touch with us, we're mainly doing this off of Instagram. So it's warm the line on Instagram. If people have any questions, they can email us at warm the line at gmail.com. They can also find information about the project on our uh, bit.ly, which is bit.ly slash warm the line. And that it's where you can print off the cards. We have blank and pre-printed cards for enclosing uh, FAQs, the addresses where they can be mailed to. So that's where you get all of that information. And we also have uh, a giveaway going on. So please go over to our uh, Instagram and uh, look up the, the giveaway for that. We hope we'll hope we get lots of entries. We've given away some really nice prizes so far. So people seem to have enjoyed that. So we want to keep giving back to the community that's being so supportive of our endeavors. That's so generous. That's exciting. And I would just say that the, I, I love the Spreadshirt site with the cups and the mugs and the bags, just because I want memorabilia from this time um, moving forward, just to look back and go like, wow, that was, that was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so Anne and Kathy, what do you two do when you're not busy, engaged in craftivism? I'm a physician, so I, um, I'm a psychiatrist, specialized in child psychiatry, and um, I really think that's the second pandemic that's uh, not only exploding now, but will be around for quite a bit. So it keeps me very busy. Um, I have my private practice, and I also um, and on, on the behavioral science faculty at the Stanford Family Medicine Program, where I teach family doctors their their psychiatry. So that that keeps me quite busy. And then, um, you know, I come home and I drop my stuff and I plop myself down and start knitting. <laughs> and I work out on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> that magic bike where all good ideas I've been come so from. Many meetings on that bike. <laughs> Um, and I'm actually involved in, in the psychiatric field as well. I work for a forensic psychiatrist. That's the uh, psychiatry as it relates to the justice system. So we deal with a lot of death penalty cases and trying to get people out of solitary confinement. It's, it's very rewarding work. It's also very, it's a little dark. Um, so it's nice to have knitting. And I'm also a big gardener, although since moving to Massachusetts from Virginia, the season is really short up here. So I'm not doing as much outside, but I do have 70 house plants. So oh, wow. a bit of a, bit of a <laughs> kooky plant lady along with being a, a kooky knitting lady. So um, yeah, my husband's like, oh good, another plant. Oh boy, more yarn. You know? <laughs> that kind of sounds like our house. Jessica's, how old is Scarlett now? Eight? Nine. Nine. When she was um, first doing Zoom, the kids are learning remote. When she was first right. doing Zoom, you know, they would have the kids do like, here's a little Zoom tour of our house. And Scarlett <laughs> walks through and she's like, this is the room where we keep our plants. Like, it's just, it's out of control. <laughs> there's a lot of them. I think there's a quite a bit of crossover with plant um, hoarding and yarn hoarding from what I can <laughs> <Yes>. tell. <laughs> Did you know that she was showing your house around to people? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good day when, I don't know, when they're fully dressed, like, to <laughs> the bars. Hey, they're, they've, they've acquired the very adult skill of being aware of what's in the frame on the screen. Mm -hmm. right. These kids will 
maybe someday be mad that I'm saying this, but they definitely have not worn pants to school since March because they just like are waist up on the camera and they just kind of hang around the house and (laughs) are comfortable with the dogs. So that's, you know, I feel like those are important life skills and they've just mastered them young. Yeah. And maybe, (laughs) and maybe, maybe it'll create a generation that doesn't really care what they're wearing, which is really kind of (laughs) neat. You know, yes. Um, they care about other stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, there was a thing on Instagram. They were like, "When I put on jeans now, it feels like a ball gown." <laughs> 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 so <fancy>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, with all of the, uh, we'll say, stress relief knitting we've all been doing, what's the favorite thing that you have made this year? I would have to say it's a willa tea which is um uh just a t-shirt by oh my god this bird knits um it's uh it's a mohair next to a fingering weight yarn and i always thought i was never going to wear mohair again after growing up in cold weather with scratchy scratchy sweaters and fluff coming around my eyelashes and all of that and uh i I really have been proven wrong. It's beautiful. It's fun to work with. It's light. I live in California, so, you know, I can make these sweaters short sleeve. And when they're mohair, they're really light. So I am more excited to keep keep putting mohair silk blends into my knitting. But that was the first one I did, and I, I love it. I still love it. Did you see the clip of Meryl Streep talking about her knitting bag from when she was in college? No. And she talks about mohair. She's like, mohair was very big in when I was in, in college. She's like, oh, it's very big again, Meryl. You need to get back you need to get back to it. She also said she knit she started a sweater for her boyfriend in high school and ended up giving it to her college boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, and I guess my favorite project this year uh, was my kaleidoscope sweater. I did the knit collage knit along um, nice. back in the spring and their kaleidoscope is it sort of, you know, put lots of different things in there. So I went a little cuckoo. This is, I think, when pandemic cuckoo-ness was hitting me the, the hardest. So I ended up putting 47 different yarns into this. Oh <laughs> uh, you know, That's I amazing. Some six, six together and things from others. And I even put a little of the ribbon they enclosed the, the yarn in into the sweater. So it was, it was definitely a collage. It was absolutely a, a collage, but that was, that was really fun. A lot of ends to weave in. Oh, I was going to say, did you have ends to weave in? Oh my gosh. A lot of ends. And right towards the end of it, uh, Amy Small, the owner was like, you know, you can needle felt the ends in. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm doing that, doing that now. It's a very good tip. If you're working with bulky yarn, just get your one of those little needle felters and you can just felt the ends right in, no weaving in. And do you have a picture of that sweater? I do. It's on my uh, Instagram page, which is B and Char Design. That's B period N period C-H-A-R Designs. Okay, because I want to see it. It sounds amazing. Yeah, the picture has actually all the yarns that I used around it. So for for what's the, what what do people say for accountability? That's right. (laughs) You can actually see all the yarns. Jessica, do you remember the woman, and I'm going to blank on her name, um, she is a spinner. Mm-hmm. She has come to a couple of our virtual events. Amanda. Amanda. Melanated boho babe. Yeah, Amanda Solomon. When we saw her at Vogue, she had one of the Park Williams, um, like, stash buster sweaters, and she had done something very similar where, I, you know, it was like eight million different skeins, and instead of weaving in the end she pulled them all to the outside of the sweater and so it was just like part it was a design feature 
it was oh, wild and that. actually like wow. really kind of neat so that if you ever knit that again there's an idea too yeah her <laughs> yarns are incredible. i love her stuff i've got a couple of skeins of hers that are just treasures i need to check her out now i've written her name down yeah she yeah. has she does really cool stuff yeah she's great <laughs> all right so we come to that time we've come to that time and what's on your needles so right now I am actually uh, knitting up a sample for a design that will be uh, coming out from Knit Collage in the spring. Um, sometime in the spring, we don't know exactly when yet, but um, so that's been exciting. I have channeled all of my uh, excitement about Knit Collage into this design that I was honored to have Amy accept uh, for Knit Collage. So I'm knitting that, that sample now. I'm just waiting for one more skein that is floating around in Louis DeJoy's United Postal Service. <laughs> it's only coming from the other side of Massachusetts, but it's somewhere in the ether right oh, now. Wild. Can you tell us what type of garment it is? Uh, yes, it's a sweater. It's a short-sleeved sweater. It's knit out of their new Serenity yarn, which is the boucle yarn. And then it has, it's accented with uh, a mini skein set of the Wildflower, which is their fabric yarn. Nice. Cool. Yeah, it's fun. All right, Kathy. What's on your needles? Um, I have a couple projects going on simultaneously. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, um, I'm knitting a throw for my husband because he's, he's complaining about a very, one of my first projects, maybe 15 years ago, that's now got all kinds of tangles and holes in it. So I'm sitting there making that right next to him at, in the evening and he has no idea it's for him. And, um, <laughs> and then um, I did join the Stephen West mystery um, knit along at the beginning of it, which was, I think, early October, I want to say, and I'm still on clue one. So time is there broken. You go. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And, and you've been a little busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so now I've, I've seen other people's uh, finished products, and I hear that by the time you're done, you've got over a thousand stitches and fingering weight. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> but it's gorgeous, so it's worth it. His stuff is always so like wild and dramatic and really fun. And particularly, I think the mystery knit alongs are always so surprising and a little baffling, like in a yeah. fun way. <laughs> I have literally no idea what this is going to be. <laughs> yeah, the most fun part is picking out the yarn. I, that's my favorite, very favorite part. All right, Jessica. Oh, are you wearing either of your sweaters? No. <laughs> <laughs> So both of the sweaters are still in timeout, but I, I will say that I have had an epiphany about the sleeves on my Tomas sweater. I have not actually taken action on this yet, so I will have to update everyone later about how to fix these sleeves, but I have completed one sleeve of my Starcross sweater. I have about a half an inch of ribbing left, but they're both kind of in timeout because I couldn't look at them any longer. And... <laughs> I decided to use some of the ends of the yarn that I had left from the Campfire Knits trunk show that we did in 2019. Yeah, it was... Time is broken. Yeah, it was the fall <laughs> before. And um, I'm knitting myself a pair of uh, the Drea Renee Knits Everyday Socks, and I love them. I learned a new cast on. They're toe-up socks, and she uses the Turkish cast on for the toes, and I never ever done it before and it's super easy and makes beautiful toes so I think I'm a convert 
I have shied away from doing toe ups. I um, that's a that's an encouraging statement about yeah know, such pretty such pretty cast on. It's a it's a strong recommend. Um, mm -hmm. You do I think the easiest way to do it is like magic loop style to cast on with your long circulars. That's not really how I prefer to knit socks. So I got past the toe and then just switched to my double points. But it's yeah super easy. You have touched on both things that I say that I don't think I'll ever do. Magic loop and toe-up <laughs> socks. So now I'm inspired. <laughs> I think you should try it. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> all right. All right. Because whenever she puts out socks, I'm like, yeah, hers I usually toe up. Forget it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's it's a strong yes for me. Like right. I, okay. I'm excited about them. All right. I'm going to tell you when I do it. Yeah, let us know. Okay. <laughs> but wait, okay. Except you're star-crossed. I think oh, between, uh -huh. <laughs> between the last time we talked about it and uh -huh. now, it had one more surprise for you, which involved the yarn. So this sweater is <laughs> vexing me, and it has nothing to do with Jackie Sieslack and her amazing design skills because the pattern is fine. It's just like... There's something about me. I think specifically this sweater that you're knitting is like possessed by some kind of like trickster spirit. Maybe the name Starcross <laughs> is a clue too. But I think it's got early pandemic energy because I was working on it in March when like everything went to hell and it's just kind of like every time I pick it up, I've done something else ridiculous or my, my latest thing is that I'm just not doing the color work on the cuffs because I lost the yarn. <laughs> it was the end of a skein of uh, Spin Cycle Dream State. And I think <gasps> the Shades it? of Earth. And I lost it. Like, I found it oh. recently. It had been a center pull ball and was kind of floppy. So, like, I hand wound what I had left to just do the color work on the cuffs. And I think that the inventory that we have in the shop right now, you know, the Spin Cycle colors change kind of wildly from, from milling to milling. And what we have looks nothing like what's already in my sweater. So it just doesn't feel like it makes sense <laughs> to knit two inches of color work on the cuffs in a new skein that doesn't look anything like what's already there. So I'm just omitting the color work and trying to muscle through. Uh -huh. <laughs> I just need to finish the sweater. What do they call it? It's a design feature. It's, a not, it's a no longer in the design feature. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, enough about my knitting foibles. Karen, what is on your needles? I finished my big gift knit, and it's really exciting, and I still can't talk about it because this is going to air in mid-December, um, and the recipient is probably listening. And I'm still working on my Cinnabar, and I'm about to cast on the Forager sweater by Isabel Kramer in the Elder from Ritual Dyes in the chestnut color, which is the really nice, like, brown, burnt orange color. Yeah, it's their newest color on the on the elder. Right, which is like when we so when we first opened the store and we were kind of doing this on a little bit of a shoestring and we were trying to like you know, we had all of our displays were like thrifted furniture and we had like eight skeins of yarn and then some shade card boxes and we were like if we had a yarn shop it would be here on this shelf. We were using our personal stashes to like kind of make samples and stuff and like every skein of yarn I pulled out of my stash was the same like burnt orange it was just my color of the year and I haven't touched that like color family since then because I felt so overwhelmed by my consistency but I'm back to it this time and I'm really excited <laughs> 
going to be a beautiful sweater. Yeah, it's going to be really nice. I was it one class that uh, where Franklin Habit, it's Franklin Habit, right? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't said his name for so long. Suggested if you want to get into a different color group, what you do is you put a shot of it into something. You don't make a whole big thing with it because you'll never really look forward to doing that. But if you just put a shot of a new color group that you want to start liking, to just do it a little at a time. And that's really worked. I've gone from really bright stuff to now really pastel-y kinds of colors. It worked for me. Interesting. It's like a color vaccine. Give yourself a little bit. (laughs) A couple doses will do. And then you'll go like, yes, I really do love pastels. That's really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he'll come and talk to us about his approach to color (laughs) sometime. Well, Thank you so much, both of you, Kathy and Anne from Warm the Line. Uh, We are going to link a bunch of the stuff that they talked about in the show notes, so you can check that out. Definitely go to Warm the Line's Instagram for more information, or if if you would like to send an item or make a donation or buy some merchandise or do something to support this amazing project. And thank you both so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having us. It was a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you. I want to thank you as well. And it's, uh, again, you're two new people to have met through this project that um, I had a lot of fun with. So um, thanks again for inviting us. Jessica, Karen, are you ready? Oh, no. For a letter. Yay. Are you ready for two letters? Oh, wait, two. We have two today. Oh, okay. Yes, I'm ready. I think. That's good because it's happening. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here goes. Our first email is from Mindy, who has a follow-up question to something we talked about in a previous episode. Whenever I knit a top-down colorwork pullover, I always like to try it on before I divide for the sleeves. Should I wet block, or can you get away with steam to try it on at the sleeve divide if you're checking for fit? Oh, that's a really good question, Mindy. So here's what I think. If you swatched before you knit your sweater, and... You blocked your swatch so you know how that yarn behaves and you know that it's not going to wildly grow when you get it wet and like you're pretty confident about what the fabric that you're making is. I think you'll be fine steam blocking it because you're just kind of looking to see if your yoke is long enough so that it is hitting you at your underarms where you want it. Like nothing too surprising should happen. If you haven't done that, if you didn't do your prep work, on the front end, you might want to wet block it. But I think in most instances, if you know that you're confident in what you're knitting, then a steam block should do the trick. Yeah, that sounds good. Awesome. (laughs) I hope that was helpful, Mindy. If you do it, you should take a picture and tag us. Oh, yeah. Let us see. We want to see what you guys are all working on. So yeah, tag us. Make good podcast. Hashtag make good podcast. Tag us, Mindy. Our second email is from Brittany, who is local and is a friend of ours we haven't been able to see for a while. So hi, Brittany. Hey, Brittany. Here's my very involved question. And the question is all caps. Okay. Weaving in ends. Why and how? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why and how are both good questions. Okay. Here's the why of weaving in your ends. 
if you knit something and you don't weave in your ends, A, you're going to have strings hanging from your finished garment. And if it's a hat or something or a sock, maybe it's not that big a deal because you just tuck those strings inside and move on with your life. But you will also feel them if it's a sock. I was just going to say, you're going to have a string in between your toes and you're maybe not going to love your life at that point. Yeah, when Scarlett was little and tiny and I would help her put on her little tiny socks and shoes on her little Flintstone feet, if the socks were not on, (laughs) she would say, it's bunchy wedgy. And, you know, as an adult, you don't want to have that feeling about the socks that you just knit. So don't have strings hanging out in your socks. But it will make your project be neat and finished and secure. You want to feel like your ends are not going to come undone. And that is maybe less of a concern at your cast on and your bind off edge. But mid project, it might be a bigger concern if you are changing skeins of yarn and you are not using a technique like spit splicing or where you're actually like felting the two ends of yarn together to create one continuous piece. Or a technique like a Russian join where your yarns overlap and are fairly secure. If you were just picking up a new strand of yarn from a new skein and you are knitting away, you've got some finished work to do so that you don't have a hole at that point. And let me give you a cautionary tale (laughs) of why we weave in our ends and we don't just cut the yarn. Oh, So earlier this year, I knit myself a flax light and I used a number of single skeins from indie dyers that I loved. I just had like this one precious skein from each of these people. And I thought I'm going to use them all together. And I made a striped flax light. And this striped flax light had a lot of stripes. And I, (laughs) at some point, was very dutifully weaving in my ends as I made progress on it. And then at another point sometime during this 15 year long year, I decided, you know what, I I don't want to do this. And I just tied square knots where my stripes transitioned and I cut my ends. And that was great for about four or five wearings of this flax light. And now I have holes (laughs) where the yarn, some of some of my fibers were blends and they were a little slippery. And those those knots did not stay secure. They kind of worked themselves out. So The interior of that sweater is questionable. I tend to be really, if it's a garment or, yeah, if it's a garment or an object that is very much one-sided, like a hat or a sweater where there's a clear inside and outside, I personally tend to leave my ends very long because of exactly that thing. So after you weave in your ends, if you cut it very close, eventually there is going to be enough tension on that yarn that it's going to start to pull through. And so what you don't want is that little pokey end on the outside of your fabric. And that's particularly true, I find, if the thing you're knitting with is superwash. If you're knitting with something that is not superwash, it tends to be a little bit grippier. And so there are people who do really wild things, like they will do like a steaked lopy cardigan, and then they'll cut it, and then they just leave the ends because that yarn is made of Velcro or something, (laughs) and it just all kind of stays where it was. Well, over time, it'll start to felt with with very coarse fibers. Um, So the inside of your steaked panel will become kind of matted and felted and secure. So you don't have to be very concerned about it. 
if you have a strong constitution, (laughs) (laughs) if your nerves can take it, your sweater can take it. Okay. So you will get varying advice from different sources. Some people will tell you to leave six inches of a tail at your cast on and bind off and anywhere else you need to weave in the ends. Some people will tell you four, six, a foot, like it varies wildly. I personally leave about six inches of tail just because it's a comfortable amount of wiggle room for me. And I am kind of an aggressive end weaver inner, (laughs) which is maybe why I gave up on this flax light. I just wasn't feeling it. But I kind of zigzag my stitches in with my darning needle. I prefer to use a bent tip darning needle as opposed to straight darning needles. They're also sometimes called tapestry needles. But I like to kind of zigzag across a row for maybe an inch or two. And then I will take my yarn and go up a row or two and I will zigzag stitch in those ends in the opposite direction coming back from where it came from and depending on what my fiber is I might drop back down and then just weave in across the tail stitches not the actual knitted stitches so it becomes like a big circle of (laughs) zigzag crazy stitching madness And so far, the way I particularly do it, I haven't seen in any tutorials online. So at some point, I might shoot a quick little video and we can post it on the blog so you can see what it looks like when I'm getting crazy with the ends of my yarn. But if you want nice, clear visual references for different techniques, we will put these links in our show notes. So on the Modern Daily Knitting blog, there is a a blog post called Techniques in Depth, How to Weave in Ends by Kate Atherley. And Kate talks about like basics of weaving in ends, but also addresses things like how to deal with weaving in ends at a seam allowance. So if you have side seams on your sweater or shoulder seams, how to take advantage of running your yarn tails through that bulk versus your actual fabric. Also, how to address weaving in your ends in stockinette versus garter. How to deal with ribbing, which is always my least favorite place to weave in ends. I just feel like it's it's tedious for me personally. And also things like lace, because you've got lots of open work and somehow you need to take all of this negative space and take your yarn tail and work it in around those without distorting the actual pattern in your fabric. So that's a nice one. And then there's also um, a very basic tutorial for weaving in ends on the Tin Can Knits blog that's helpful, especially if you are new to knitting and you're kind of overwhelmed by huge amounts of information about different specific techniques. This is a great foundational one. So at the cuffs, first of all, I always feel like there's a little gap when I finish binding off at the edge of a cuff of a sweater or really anything I knit in the round, like a hat too. So I will take my ends and kind of duplicate a knit stitch to close up the join at the very edge where I've bound off. And then I will flip my work inside out. And because there's ribbing, I will choose a leg of, when I'm looking at the inside, one of the knit channels, one of the knit columns, and I will like whip stitch my tails through that because on the outside of the fabric, that's like the edge of a purl stitch. So I find that's least visible and I will 
whip stitch through that all the way down till where I get to my main fabric and I'm out of the ribbing. And then I will apply my little back and forth zigzag technique in my fabric. So that's a circumstance where it's great that I leave longer tails because I also tend to like to knit longer cuffs. Like I like long ribbed cuffs on my sweaters. So sometimes I go longer than the pattern might tell me to. And I so far have not run out of tail before I've woven it all in. The real important thing is that you're going back and forth, because if you think about the way that tail is going to be under tension as you wear your garment, if the tension is pulling one direction and you've only woven in one direction, that is eventually going to start backing itself out of where you've stitched it in. If you loop it back around or do a circle like Jessica's talking about, it's going to help distribute the force on that fiber and make it more difficult, almost like throwing a rope over a branch or like... You know, if you just mm-hmm. throw it and then only pull on one side, but if you're pulling on both sides, it isn't going to go anywhere. You have actual security around the stitch. Yeah, absolutely. That seems like the important thing. And take a peek and make sure that you can't see it on the other side as you're stitching. Because if you weave the whole thing in and then you look on the other side and you're like, oh, I can totally see all of that. You'll be annoyed. Right. Oh, and, and one more thing. And this is less technique based and more like confidence as a knitter. If you are concerned about your finishing techniques looking sloppy or your woven in ends like being visible when you look at the inside of your fabric, that's okay. Look at your ready to wear clothing sometime. It is shocking the ends that you will see poking out of seams. Like there is no perfection unless you're dealing with like some amazing bespoke tailor or something. Like your store-bought sweaters have visible spots on the inside where your ends are woven in. And I think that, you know, you want to do work that you are satisfied with and work that you are proud of, but do not beat yourself up about you know, how the inside of your sweater looks if you were happy with the outside of your sweater's appearance. You can do it. Just make sure it doesn't fall apart while you're wearing it and you're in great shape. (laughs) Anybody who's looking at the inside of your sweater shouldn't be. (laughs) I mean, maybe they can. They just need to be nice about it. Yeah, we tell that to people all the time in the shop too when they come in and they've made a mistake in some unreachable place you know they've finished a sweater and they're like "Ah, I twisted a stitch here and we tell them that's okay it's fine any person who's not a knitter looking at your hand knit object is not going to notice that like they're not going to be able to read your stitches to identify this mistake that you can see and anyone who is a knitter who can and sees it would never (laughs) ever dare say a word to you about it And if they do, they're not nice knitters and they're not your friends. (laughs) So, you know, be gentle with yourself and love your hand knits and wear them well. (laughs) And I think that's it. I think that's it for today. Thanks, Brittany. So next week for our holiday episode, we are going to be talking about gifts gone wrong and the sweater curse. By the time this posts, it will be too late to send us your stories, but send us your pictures. We want to see these things. (laughs) So far, some of your stories have been amazing. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. (laughs) Yeah. So if you didn't get a chance to send in a story, but you have pictures of some something, who knows, send it to us because we'll share it on Instagram and maybe put it up in a blog post or something, but we'll make sure that you can see them. 
we're excited and we want to share your amazing knits. Thank you so much for joining us. And once again today, thank you to Kathy and Anne from Warm the Line. We are going to post information about Warm the Line in the show notes and on the blog. So follow that link and check that out. Uh, If you haven't subscribed to our podcast yet, you can do that in whatever your podcast medium of choice is. And we will see you for stories of holiday gift gone wrong next week. Bye-bye.